So just wait for the mate that's straight from God. Don't give it up till you tie the knot. I didn't. Don't I didn't. want it. I don't want it. Want it. I don't want it. Want your sex for now. <laughs> Welcome to Holy Ghosting, a podcast about deconstruction from your middle-aged mom friends. I'm Lindsay, and I had (gasps) sex before marriage. Can you believe it? I was a good Christian girl until I wasn't. And I'm Meg, and I was just a pure virgin girl, never seen or touched a penis before my wedding night. So that was a real surprise. Um, Yeah, straight from virgin to not a virgin. (laughs) on that wedding day and um i don't recommend it so i'm sarai and i too was a virgin on my wedding day though i had touched and seen and probably even put into my mouth several penises by that time um i was the p and v virgin of of people right but now i'm in a permanent slut era so yay <laughs> We, you got there, Sarai. We're yeah. so proud of you. Thank you. I was the only, it sounds like I was the only slut amongst us back then. So welcome. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the dark side. <laughs> a slut of not letting penises into my vagina. There were other, any other things that were allowed. Not any other things, but you know what I'm saying. Gosh, you were I do. wild. Wild I wasn't, girls. If it wasn't, wasn't penetration, Catholic. it didn't count, That's right? right. If it That's wasn't correct. the P in the V, it wasn't sex. That's how we got around those weird rules. Mm-hmm. Well, if you couldn't tell, we are going to talk about sex today. We are ending season two talking about all of our taboos with the ultimate evangelical taboo, which is S-E-X. And the funny thing is, when what we're going to get into is we're going to talk about how sex was actually a huge focus of evangelicalism, but like they didn't talk about the parts that mattered or the parts that were helpful, maybe. I mean, and surely having it before you got married or having it with someone that was um, not cis and hetero as well. Those were all taboos. Those were all problems. So today we're really excited to welcome Dr. Laura Anderson on the podcast today to talk all things sex, religious trauma and purity culture with us. Thank you for being here, Laura. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk with you today. I found you on Instagram. I was watching some of your reels. And so if you haven't, please go watch all of her content. Dr. Laura is incredible. She is, I'll give you a little formal intro here. She is a licensed psychotherapist, a trauma resolution coach, religious trauma consultant, speaker, author, and educator. And all of her work from what I can tell is through a lens of religious trauma and is really helping people with deconstruction. And man, I, even though I've deconstructed for a while, I'm doing a podcast on deconstruction. Some of your stuff has just really hit me in the guts. When Mm. I see your videos, it's just like, whew, like every time I thought like, I've, I've thought through all this purity culture stuff. I've been in therapy for eight years and you just the way that you're able to speak to these issues is is really powerful and Mm. important and we're really grateful to have you on today so thank you thank you thank you i really appreciate that it's always fun to talk about well all of this stuff but i love like the different angles that different people take so i haven't gotten to do a podcast like just talking about sex so this is super fun i'm excited <laughs> we, we, i mean we have gotten into purity we joke that like every episode probably is going to come back to purity culture 
in some way. I think so. Yeah, generally. It's, yeah. it's so intertwined. And that's why I think mm-hmm. at first we didn't necessarily think we were going to do an episode on sex in season two because we're like, well, we've talked some about the modesty stuff and the virginity mm-hmm. stuff. But I think specifically thinking about how purity culture, what we were taught and how we are still disentangling ourselves from those messages. Mm-hmm. Like it mm-hmm. is, it is so damaging and so long lasting. And I know that we, we bridge a lot of heavy topics in this pot and we try to deal with it with some lightness, some honesty. Like I promise this isn't going to be all sad, heavy stuff. We're going to try to have some fun with it like we do. But also, you know, trigger warnings to people out there, like we're going to be talking about like how we were taught about our bodies, about our sexuality, mm-hmm. all the, how we were just told we were pieces of shit sinners. And that, I don't know, especially it's women that we were the problem. And mm-hmm. that is a bummer. So um, before we get into the bummer of it, I do want to just start with, I want to put us back into the 80s and 90s. I want us oh, to go yeah. back to how <laughs> we were us, raised. Take us back. The messages of our youth. I want you to like close your eyes, okay, take a deep so breath, just no feel the spirit. Tops, no tight pants. <laughs> I'm just getting in the zone. Yeah. I have, yeah, I just have feel- hammer pants on. I have a puff painted hot pink t-shirt with my best Ooh. friend's names on it. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely a scrunchie. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm there. Yeah. I thought I was <laughs> grunge and I would wear like, uh, this is like beginning of high school. I remember I wore kind of these baggy, like blackish jeans with a flannel tied around my waist Obviously. and mm-hmm. at my Christian high mm-hmm. school. But the t-shirt I was wearing was like a, like a no fear t-shirt. It was yes. like the one that was based yes. on. Yeah. Yeah. With the fit. Yeah. Yes. So, um, that was, that was the zone that I was in when I was listening to this gem from our friends in DC talk. So, Preparing for this episode, I couldn't help but just have the words to this classic jam going through my head. And so I'm just going to read it for you all right now in case you have forgotten, in case you don't have all of these words memorized like I still do. Uh, Fair warning, I oftentimes accidentally start singing once you start reading lyrics. So let's all just prepare ourselves for that. It might happen. There's a lot in this song by our friends DC Talk. It's called I Don't Want It. And here we go. S-E-X is on the TV. Too much skin is in your vision. You gotta make the right decision. God has set his standard higher. Purity is his desire. I'm gonna choose to wait. I don't want it. I don't want it. Want it. I don't want your sex for now. For now. S-E-X is a test when I'm pressed. So back up off with less of that zest. Impress this brother with a life of virtue. The innocence that's spent is gonna hurt you. Safe is the way they say to play. Then again, safe ain't safe at all today. So just wait for the mate that's straight from God. Don't give it up till you tie the knot. I didn't. I don't I didn't. want it. I, I don't, don't want it. Want want it. it. I, don't I don't want it. Want your sex for now. now. For now. I just really like the for now part. For it's now. just really for now part. <laughs> Dr. Laura, did you did you know this jam? Are you familiar? I know every word. Yes, I know every word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try and, and living try and jam out. 
<laughs> I live in Nashville, which is where all three of those guys live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I have loose connections to every single one of them. And it's it's so it's like it brings it home in a whole new way, you know? Yeah, yep. <laughs> I know. And yes. I feel sometimes bad. Like I follow Kevin Max now on Twitter. I think he follows me on Twitter. We're like friends, right? Ooh. Just kidding. We're not. <laughs> but I know that he doesn't even like talking about this. He's the one that's really like, mm-hmm. oh, no, thank you. He's, mm-hmm. he's deconstructed. Mm-hmm. So good for you, Kevin. We, we are proud of the yes. work that you have done. So <laughs> this, I think, sets the stage for how sex was like yeah. dealt with in evangelicalism. It was a uh, it's bad right now, but it mm-hmm. will be good someday. And mm-hmm. I'd love to know sort of like what, you know, I guess give us the background of how you were raised, Dr. Laura, like what denomination sort of like if this is the message you received and if you can kind of give us some history of your thoughts on like the main things that evangelicalism really hammered in about sex. Yeah, well, I definitely grew up in this. I think I'm probably in the same age range as your general audience. Uh, So I was coming into middle school, early high school when the True Love Waits campaign started kind of sweeping the nation back in 1994. Um, I was kind of a late bloomer in terms of my own physical body. Um, So, you know, going through puberty and things like that. I grew up in the Evangelical Free Church, which if people don't know what that is, I kind of describe it as like, it is the theology kind of hellfire and brimstone of the Southern Baptist Church with the stoicism of like Lutheranism and then kind of the rigidity of Church of Christ kind of wrapped into reformed theology or Calvinism. Wow. Um, so Ooh, it's kind of like this. A, that is, yeah. That's, that's like all the worst breath. parts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it is. Like, oh, yeah. that bad thing. Yikes. And that, oh, all of them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a I was a camp kid, meaning that my dad was a director at a fundamentalist Christian camp. And oh, so yeah. I grew up there like we lived on camp grounds for, you know, the, the whole year we had a house. We didn't like live in a tent or anything. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, so I grew up there. And so, you know, really, actually, True Love Waits was kind of like this, the first bridge between like my God world and then like the secular world. Because when True Love Waits happened, you know, in the earliest 90s, that's where we had like celebrities starting to come out and doing their purity pledge or virginity pledges. And and so these two worlds that I had kind of kept separate, I had my camp people, my church people, and then my school people. It was like, all of a sudden we were all hearing the same message and it was like, cool to, you know, sign away your virginity and being the late bloomer, I was kind of like, I mean, yeah, I'll do this because I'm told I'm supposed to, but I was like, I don't even really know what this means. But I remember standing up in front of the church in like seventh grade, you know, making this commitment to purity, getting a purity ring a couple years later. And of course, hearing all of the messages that we were taught about our bodies and sex and modesty and especially how women are just, you know, evil <laughs> because we have vaginas. Um, and so and, and, boobs. And, boobs. Yeah. and boobs. Yes, yes. I had I had very I was like did not develop uh probably until like way later. Um and so I thought was like I forget about the boobs. I don't even have them. <laughs> we're we're all we were all big boob girls and that was a okay. problem. But yeah, so I, I have um male siblings and so that was also part of my purity culture in terms of like understanding from the male perspective like how we make men stumble by wearing this or that and you know i i really i'm the oldest of of my siblings and there was like this kind of older sister you know obligation to make sure that they all you know didn't stumble (laughs) um so i took it seriously like the rules of purity culture and you know when i because i 
came up in the 90s, it, we didn't have a lot of the books, you know, like uh, I Can Say It and Goodbye came out, what, in 1998, 99, somewhere in there, which would have put me right around like my junior, senior year of high school. The book that I really gravitated towards that came out my senior year of high school was In the Bride Were White by Dana Gresh. Um which was highly prescriptive of you wear these things, you say these things, you do these things, you become this woman, and then you get this reward. And in a way that felt really safe, right? When you're at that age, everything feels so chaotic in your body and outside of your body. You're 18, you're trying to figure out what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? There's no concrete answers. And so even though I did not love the rules of purity culture, it did give me this sense of stability amongst like, a lot of other feelings of chaos. Yeah. Um, and so I quickly adopted that. I really, I mean, I was the poster child and I taught purity culture classes to, you know, all the younger girls that I mentored. I was always, I was in a paid position at the church that I worked at. And so I was always the one who had to like go talk to the girls if their shirts were too low or, you know, their shorts were too short or, you know, anything like that. And so, um, yeah, many of those admonishing conversations, I got to have them all uh, with the girls, but I counted it an honor because of course, you know, we're trying to make sure our brothers in Christ don't stumble and it's a job, um, you know, and mm -hmm. I, it's funny because I can think back now, like, about sex and relationships. And I think I was fascinated, but because I wasn't allowed to be fascinated, I had to like, I had to channel that into almost like hatred and disgust of like bodies, sex, relationships. And, um, and so there's, there was just a lot then that I didn't learn about that. I did had no idea about my own body, um, about, uh, female bodies, how they worked. I, I did not know like masturbation was a thing until I was I don't know, late twenties, almost Whoa. 30. I didn't know that. Like, I mean, I knew that women would do it, but I thought like, Oh, that's very fringe. Like that is the real sinners. Um, and I just like, I was so turned off sexually and so suppressed that, I mean, now I'm like, I can understand. I like, I probably thought I was asexual or I would have categorized myself as asexual because any sexual desire was so suppressed. Uh, and I still remember the very first time I was like turned on and I did not know what to do. I was like, what is happening in my body? Like there's, <laughs> there's things happening. And, um, I feel like I need to go change my clothes and like those sorts of things. And I was like, I don't know what this is. And now I have much compassion. I'm like, oh, that's that's called sexual arousal. Like, OK, cool. You know, so oh, I know that's like, yeah. when that was happening, when you were like, I feel feelings down there. So I OK, so that particular experience actually was like twenty nine. Um, but I had an experience uh, younger than that, probably more like twenty two. Um, and somehow like I didn't know that was sexual desire, sexual arousal. But I, something in my body probably knew that, but really associated with disgust and shame. Mm. And I remember after feeling that uh, I was kind of dating or courting. I, I just remember feeling things and feeling good, but then 
recognizing almost as soon as it was over, like, oh, the good must mean that's bad, right? That's mm-hmm. sinful. Mm-hmm. And I went home and just like, like took this scalding hot shower, mm-hmm. like scrubbed my body until I was raw, like, and red. Really very common to like what sexual assault survivors do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I had this part of me that goes, you know that, like, you know that this is what sexual assault survivors do. And this is what you're doing. Like, there's got to be something there in terms of like that feeling of disgust and violation. Um, but I couldn't, I didn't have a space to, to organize that at all. I had nobody to talk to, of course. And so I just kind of shut everything down, put more rules around, mm-hmm. you know, and ba- boundaries, quote unquote, um, boundaries around myself so that I would not be in, in situations like that where I would ever feel that way again. So that was, you know, and then seven years later was like the next time I wow. felt anything wow. um, because I was just so like committed to like squashing everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that shame is so intense. And the fact that it wasn't even anyone else telling you in that moment you know what to do or what you had done wrong like you had been given those messages so clearly and you'd been giving other Mm -hmm. people those messages right and so it internalized it like I just it it makes me sad and I feel like I'm pretty similar like I was not in touch with my Mm. own body at all Mm -hmm. and you know I don't view myself as someone who has a super high libido I don't know how I, I But even then I'm like, I have one and I do like to orgasm and these things are, but same thing, like female masturbation didn't know that that was even an option, wasn't a thing that I tried, wasn't Mm -hmm. talked about. Um, And in fact, uh, I did not have any sort of orgasm at all until I got married and I had had sex with Mm. two people prior to my husband. I I did not know what to ask for. I didn't know what I was supposed to be feeling. It didn't feel bad. I didn't know how to talk about it at all. Like zero, I had no construct for what I was doing. And I just felt like I was just stumbling. (laughs) It was just. You were talking about that feeling of like thinking that maybe you were asexual. I identified with that so much. Like even, Mm -hmm. even though I got married at 20 and was having sex regularly because that was what God wanted. Make yes. sure your husband's happy. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. But, but what thinking it's like not knowing what libido even is, not understanding sexuality, not mm-hmm. knowing what those feelings in your body were and thinking, well, maybe I'm just like almost asexual or like asexual-ish. Mm-hmm. But I think that 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 is something that I've heard from a lot, particularly of women who grew up in purity mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. And and can you talk a little bit about that? Like psychologically, what is happening there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I I can't speak for everybody's experiences, but in terms of like the specific messaging, but I know one of the messages that I was taught and even promoted to the uh, students that I would teach was that sex is not for women. It is for the man. So like in the context of a cisgender heterosexual marriage, which of course those words don't even exist in that culture. So just normal marriage, (laughs) right? You know, one man, one woman, lifelong. Yeah. Man gets on woman. He does things. He comes. She's like, okay, thank you. Get off. Yes. Yeah. And I remember (laughs) even like teaching like, I, I want to say I probably read about this or heard this in like a Dana Grush book or some sort of purity culture seminar because I went to all of hers because I was cool like that. Yeah, this really isn't for you. And so, you know, your job is, of course, to satisfy your husband sexually. There is an obligation to that. I remember hearing many sermons of talking about like the obligation of having sexual relations with your spouse, but it was almost primarily geared towards like making sure the male 
was um, sexually satisfied. I never heard anything about female pleasure. I always heard that it's a way that you keep your husband from cheating. It's a way that you keep your husband from looking at pornography, from lusting. And the flip side of that is that if your husband engaged in any of those behaviors, it was at least partially the woman's mm -hmm. fault because it yeah. likely meant that you were not giving them the sexual experiences that they needed in order to stay faithful to you in body, mind and soul. And so I think when we hear those messages over and over, like, sex is not for women your pleasure doesn't matter um this is for your husband this is in fact like almost a weapon that's used against you to make sure that this person doesn't really do some emotional and physical damage to you in the form of cheating or betrayal or mm -hmm. things like that um you just those messages start to live inside your body you really do start to embody all of these messages and then that creates the physical kind of manifestation of those messages and and especially then like the messages of purity culture that you know before this point of saying i do is suppress everything yeah. right so i'm not only have i learned how to suppress everything then there's this magic moment of i do but it's not really for me anyways mm -hmm. and so i think that that oftentimes can manifest at least in a question of Am I asexual or is this just like purity culture, like the result of purity culture? Of course, we didn't have those words to mm -hmm. describe that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I think when we hear those messages over and over and over, whether we want to call it a self-fulfilling prophecy or if we just want to go with like neuroscience and that's how our brains and bodies work together, mm -hmm. I, I think that's what's happening. I think it's yeah. really, yeah. really interesting and important to note that all of the constructs around purity culture are intended to make women feel responsible for men's mm -hmm. actions, behaviors, wants, desires, needs, et cetera, both from the prevent every man from having sex with you. So probably like clench your vagina shut. So it's really hard to get in there. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Um, that definitely is real. Like that has, mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who have mm -hmm. some mysterious pain mm -hmm. from uh, mm -hmm. during sex, I think mm -hmm. largely because of purity yes. culture and the way that we were taught mm -hmm. to sort of react to that by shutting things down mm -hmm. for ourselves. But even when mm -hmm. we're married, that that whole tool of your body doesn't belong to you. It it never has. Bodily autonomy yeah. is not a thing we ever learned about. It was your body mm -hmm. is a thing that makes men stumble, that makes them sin. You better hide it under a bushel. Yes. And mm -hmm. <laughs> then continuing on, now you're married and now you need to just make yourself available yeah. to him to do what he wants to do. In our first of Infinity episodes on purity culture, what we really focused on was how it does make women susceptible to abuse. Um, mm -hmm. I know I can't help but notice that the anticipating and meeting of other people's needs against your own also really primes us to act in ways that are deeply codependent. Um, and that mm -hmm. of course then filters into other places in our lives. So um, I'm, I'm interested, I mean, I know we're talking women specifically, um, right this minute, uh, and it's really a conversation for everyone. I know men have hangups and stuff too, but, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm really curious about like whether you work with men and or women and, or, you know, people of all genders, um, does this mm -hmm. impact them differently or, you know, how do, how do men react to these kinds of messages mm -hmm. and what, what happens on their end? Yeah. I mean, 
the short answer is like, yes, it doesn't matter like what gender you are. The impact is there. Um, you know, I think I think it's safe to say that those who are women or so were socialized female growing up in purity culture did tend to take the brunt of the the teachings, uh, especially in some of like the embodiment pieces. But I've worked with several people, uh, several men or were socialized male growing up in purity culture. And there really are deep impacts. And that's everything from things like shame um, to what you're talking about, codependency, grooming behaviors, lack of like bodily autonomy, uh, not understanding like uh, how to say no, how to, you know, be in consensual sexual situations, enthusiastic consent. Um, I know as it, I, I can think of many male clients that I've worked with where they've carried around a lot of shame for usually one of two reasons, sometimes both a is like not being the typical male prototype of like this ravenous sexual being who thinks about sex a minimum of all the time and wants to, you know, just like have sex with everything that walks. So there's like kind of that machismo, you know, like, I don't know if you read like what brave at heart or is no wild at heart Mm -hmm. uh, where they're talking (laughs) about like brave heart. Yeah. Wild at heart, you know, kind of this, like, you know, Ooh, that's the man. Right. So there's a lot of impact um, that way. A lot of shame, a lot of what is wrong with me. I'm not fitting this stereotype. And then on the other side, there's been a lot of grief and sadness Mm -hmm. for um, the way that they've embodied those messages and then treated as women, especially according to those messages, whether it's the way that they have viewed people, the way they viewed sex, the way that they have maybe pushed through um, boundaries and, and those sorts of things. Like I think about the statement that a lot of women were taught of like, it's up to you to like hold the boundaries. Mm-hmm. Well, you only need to hold boundaries if somebody's pushing them, right? Mm-hmm. So there is this automatic expectation that women have to hold boundaries because they're gonna be pushed by men. That does so much damage to both men and women, right? It tells the man, this is what you're going to do. So why are we surprised that they're doing it, right? Right. And it tells women, this is what they're going to do. So you, you like, it's up to you. And if there's any sort of like movement of the boundary, it's your fault. There's no mention of consent. There's no mention of assault. There's no mention of any of that. So I think even in those ways, like there's a lot of grooming to become assaulted or to be the person who is assaulting. And, and I certainly don't want to like minimize the ramifications of that, but I also think it's important to take it into context to say, when you grew up in a system like this, why are we surprised that this is happening? I think that's at least just worth noting. So I think there's, you know, when I think about the clients I work with, and I run the Center for Trauma Resolution and Recovery. So we work primarily with uh, people coming out of high control religion, which oftentimes includes various types of purity cultures. And um, I would say the biggest thing that comes up over and over again, regardless of gender, regardless of sexuality, is the way that purity culture impacted them back then and presently. It's pretty widespread. It's uh, it's one of those things. I think it just like takes me a minute to digest all that because it yeah. is so true, yeah. and it's just the the pressure that I remember feeling as a teenage girl, and and 
and beyond to ho- to hold that tension of like it's on me i have mm-hmm. to stop it and if i don't then i feel shame or if it goes too far or if i touch that penis or you know whatever and it's just whew, yeah it, it does a number and these are the things i think that mm-hmm. sometimes maybe people's gut reactions are like why are you still talking about this like this was so mm-hmm. long ago like yeah sure did i read i kiss dating goodbye a long time ago yes like mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that like again going into adulthood and and being a sexual being, it is, it's so confusing and it's really hard to navigate. And how do you figure out, like, mm-hmm. I remember an early argument that my husband and I would have, and he wasn't raised religious. Um, so he does not have any of those hangups. Uh, he came to religion later in like high school and funny enough, uh, chose not to have sex his parents thought he was very weird uh but the sense of um duty in the marriage and like our libidos are different and we and figuring that out and again just the message of like well he wants it all the time i don't and but i guess i should just do this because it's what mm-hmm. I'm supposed to do. And I remember him being like, this doesn't feel good. I don't want you to have sex with me because you have to. But then knowing that I was like, but then if I, I mean, honestly, uh, there was a point where I was just like, yeah, but if I don't do it out of duty, I, we're just not going to have it because I just don't want to have it. I was so shut down. And again, I don't think I ever thought of myself as asexual, but it just, a lot of it comes back to like the sex was really painful for us and I felt really bad sharing that with him I didn't know how to talk to him about what felt good and what felt bad and it was really harmful to our really and like really killed our sex drive that's been the biggest issue and I feel like now realizing that like you had an Instagram about this recently that I thought was kind of revelatory at talking about Mm -hmm. how like sex shouldn't be painful literally no one told me mm-hmm. that no one talked about mm-hmm. what sex should feel like how women especially women how we can enjoy it. you know you get like messages from tv or whatever I, I just had no sense of what was possible and i'm really grateful that mm-hmm. now i'm figuring out some of those things and i'm reclaiming like mm-hmm. sex and you know certain things you know i was like cannabis has been incredibly helpful for me yeah. <laughs> with sex yes. but also uh, talking yeah. to other women and figuring out mm-hmm. like okay my body's shaped in this way and he's shaped this way and like mm-hmm. i just learned about this thing mm-hmm. ladies i'm just gonna tell you right now this is not sponsored but i found out about this thing called oh nut that's incredible yes. and mm-hmm. it's like they're like little squishy things that go over the shaft and it like provides a little barrier and because mm-hmm. he's like long and it doesn't feel good with how i'm shaped yeah. oh i cannot believe i'm just fucking discovering this right now i'm like this yeah could have I would have been having a lot more sex the last 13 years I'm just telling you so I just I would encourage like now that I am talking about sex Mm -hmm. with people then people are able Mm -hmm. to be like oh actually have you tried this thing and I just didn't talk about it for so long and that is a huge detriment to me and even to my our friends like amongst other women we never talked about it it wasn't it wasn't like Mm -hmm. I didn't talk about with my husband I didn't talk about with my girlfriends um, I did yeah. call my mom on my wedding day because mm-hmm. that first experience uh, mm. with zero concept of what to do, how to do, what to use. I mean, luckily we had some mm-hmm. lube that somebody got like randomly and I didn't even, I didn't know that lube existed. I didn't know what it was for. I didn't, I never heard of it. Yeah. I'd gotten all mm-hmm. the sexy lingerie from this party that people had thrown for me and 
it was lacy and I was super embarrassed to put it on and then had sex for the first time and then cried, just cried. Yeah. It hurt so mm -hmm. fucking bad. And I, it hurt yeah. so bad. I called my best friend, I called my mom. Mm -hmm. I was like, I think something broke. I don't know what to do. And having that conversation on my honeymoon, it, it's the stupidest thing ever. Honestly, it makes me mm. so mad. It makes me so mad that that is what my first week of marriage was, was the pain yeah. that was associated mm -hmm. with sex, not the pleasure, not mm -hmm. the enjoyment, not the discovery, not any of the things that I was like waiting my whole life for. Um, yeah. Because we didn't have any conversations ever mm -hmm. with yeah. anyone. Yeah. So how do we break yeah. that? How do we push past mm -hmm. it? Um, even with my own kid having those conversations of just mm -hmm. saying sex, like yeah. It, yeah. sometimes we get a knock on our door uh, and uh, we're like, yeah, we're having sex. That's what we're doing. That's what's happening. It's awesome. So you're like, we'll put $5 in your future therapy jar after we're done. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I thought you were busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but well i mean 20, it's, it's been 20 yeah. years for me i mean 20 20 mm -hmm. plus years of of like Lindsay was saying not great mm -hmm. experiences sexually yeah and yeah and realizing uh even as sir i had mentioned earlier that i was clenching mm -hmm. I, I just want mm -hmm. all listeners right now to like think about the fact that if you grew up in purity culture and you have painful sexual intercourse, um, you you might you might have to have some conversations with your vagina. You and your vagina maybe need to have mm -hmm. some like reconnecting <laughs> or something. Like mm -hmm. Dr. Laura, how do we get past mm -hmm. the shame, the embarrassment of these kinds of conversations? Like what's mm -hmm. how do we break it? How do we break that barrier? Well, I mean, I think part like what we're doing right here is part of it. You know, shame breeds in isolation when we think I must be the only one who's going through something like this. You know, the video that you're referring to, Lindsay, um, was really kind of motivated by a purity culture support group that I led last fall where I, I left it kind of like open in regard to like what we were going to talk about each week because I wanted it to be what the group needed. And so I had them fill out this questionnaire prior to the group just so that I could kind of get an idea of where people were at. And originally maybe like eight out of the 10 people said, you know, sexual pain is something I deal with. Well, it turned out like 10 out of 10 plus the leader, me, were like, yeah, this is something we've all experienced just with a couple of people being like, oh, I didn't realize like that, that was pain. That's, you know, like whatever. Mm -hmm. And so that that's where this conversation started. And we had an eight to 10 week group where, you know, I think, I think originally they thought we're going to work on like sexual pain through just like techniques so like how do we just have less painful sex but really it was more about coming into relationship with your body learning how to feel safe in your body in non-sexual ways experiencing pleasure in non-sexual ways in purity culture pleasure and sex are highly over coupled mm. and so that means that you know like when i say sexual pleasure like even that might you know your body might get tense up from that or when we say pleasure you know we don't think of like what an amazing piece of chocolate tastes like we instantly go to what sex is 
supposed to be. And for most people, because of the pain piece, they're like, ew, like, no. So I just won't experience any pleasure. So I think having conversations where, where you're able to like speak up freely and say, it, like me too, this is something that I'm experiencing. Some, I know that doesn't fix everything, but it does take away that isolation piece, that shame piece where you go, well, maybe at the very least, I'm not having to like fight against myself. Like maybe there's something that happened to me that I'm dealing with and it's not this inherent flaw within me. And I think that's really important for people to know that, you know, I, so interestingly, when I started my therapeutic career, I actually started by working with convicted adult and juvenile sex offenders um, that were coming out of jail and juvenile detention after having offended people. And I work primarily with the juveniles. And so part of what we would do was sex re-education, essentially, which was funny because at the time I was still like deep in purity culture. Um I had never even kissed anybody. Um, And so I'm like, you know, and so I'm like learning this along with my, you know, these, these boys that I'm working with. Um, And I remember one of the analogies that was given, and this is something I use with my clients and something that I think can be really helpful within purity culture in terms of understanding what's happening is when we look at this natural sexual development process, I look at it as like a, a, a dimmer switch, like a light dimmer switch, you know, where you, slowly turn things on we are born inherently sexual and the the that means way beyond just the act of sex right there are so many other pieces to our sexuality um, but we're born that way and so that means we are sexual beings from the time that we're born now when we're infants obviously that's going to look very different than when you're a toddler or an elementary school ch- child or an adolescent or an adult but as we grow up that dimmer switch gets a little bit brighter a little bit brighter and it should as it correlates to like the actual life stage that we are at. And so by the time then that you're in elementary school and middle school, like you're kind of appropriately developing so that when the time comes to have sexual experiences with a partner or maybe through masturbation with yourself, you're kind of naturally developed in that way. So, you know, you can have sexual experiences and it maybe isn't shocking for your body or it maybe isn't painful. Now, I'm not saying that exclusively, like you won't experience any shock or any pain, but it is less likely because you've been naturally kind of developing how you're supposed to. Now, when we talk about things like purity culture and things like sexual abuse, child sexual abuse, it's more like an on off light switch. So when we look at, you know, this dimmer switch, we go like we have this child that is at this one space um, developmentally, if we if they're sexually abused, the on switch goes on and all of a sudden they are experiencing things that maybe they shouldn't experience until they are an adolescent or an adult. And that's where our bodies start to carry like the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system energy where we're looking at maybe things like trauma and those sorts of things. And the same is true with purity culture. You keep it off, 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 off until this magical day where you say, I do, and now it's on. Well, our bodies are not created Mm -hmm. to go that way. And so when you think about like the actual pain that people, like the bracing, the, you know, a lot vaginismus is the correct clinical term, you know, we're talking about like sexual pain. I, in some ways, I know this sounds weird, like, well, yeah, brilliant on the the part of your body, like because your body has been told this is bad, sinful, evil, dirty. Mm-hmm. Do not do it. And so I'm literally like closing it up mm-hmm. so you can't get that thing in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. And so 
there is pain. And I know many people who quote unquote, did it the right way and are a year, two years, three years into marriage and still cannot have penis and vagina sex because of the immense amount of pain. Our bodies are not created to be turned off and on that way. Mm -hmm. And I think even knowing that can decrease some of the shame. Again, we're going like, hey, this thing happened. I need to understand this because my body is really like bracing against this and saying like, stay out, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Like we have to be able to, feel a sense of safety in our bodies in order to literally let somebody in if you have a vulva, right? And so, yeah, so if if we're not feeling safe in our bodies, if we are believing these messages in our minds that transfer down to our bodies of like sex is bad, dirty, evil, gross, it doesn't matter if you signed a piece of paper that made this relationship legal and binding, your body goes, I don't care. Like two minutes ago, this was bad. Yes. Now it doesn't make it right, you know, so I'm still going to protect myself. And so I I don't know if that answers all of the question or maybe just brings up more. But um, I think it's important to know that because there is so many people that I've worked with, that I've talked to, where that pain piece is so prevalent and there is such a big question mark over like, I did this the way that I was supposed to. So why am I experiencing pain? Um, And and it's really hard. It's it's can really do damage to the self as well as the relationship. For me, I wasn't shut down sexually entirely mm-hmm. by purity yeah. culture. Yeah. I was, I invented masturbation when I was a little kid and I, it was called I love that. Yeah, I know, thank you. I, I was like, everyone should know about this. Um, but I didn't, <gasps> I so wasn't sweet. an evangelist, but I did enjoy mm. it until I found out what it was really about. And then I felt bad about it, but I still did it. Mm-hmm. What what was mm-hmm. interesting to me is I did I did maintain my penile virginity until I got married um, when I was like tw- almost 27. And mm-hmm. it was really painful to have sex with my then husband. The other thing mm-hmm. was we did not have any sexual chemistry like at all. Like he mm-hmm. was more like yeah. a family member, like platonic friend, kind of. But we got married and I was like, I guess now we're, we're just going to go for it. He didn't ever want to have sex with me like his libido Mm -hmm. was maybe once a month. If I was lucky, we would ever even attempt it. Um, And that was also really hard for me, too, because I think we get Mm -hmm. these messages that we talked about earlier, like, oh, it's men want it all the time and women don't even like it and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. Like, I definitely have been in a lot of relationships with men where I did have a higher sex drive Mm -hmm. and a, a more interest in sexual activities with them like that kind of thing and um that was also a really confusing mm-hmm. and strange experience yeah. and then on top of that yeah. still have the pain in my case it wasn't so yeah. much that it was like my whole entire body was shut down to it it was more that the partner i was with had no interest or ability to understand how to get my body to be more responsive right yeah. so we would have very Mm -hmm. perfunctory sex. Like, would you like to have sex? Mm -hmm. And I would say, well, it's now or never. So I guess, yes. And then it would just be Mm -hmm. like, now we begin. There was no affection for play, that kind of thing. And so there's, Mm -hmm. there's some of that there too, that I think we're taught not only are we not supposed to want sex. So if you do, it's weird. Or if you masturbate and you're a Mm -hmm. girl, like I was the only, I never told anybody I did that as a kid or young person, teenager, but I did, and I kind of feel like it did help me stay alive because of how sex mm-hmm. is like literally like a need for most of us. 
Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, I think I think that's important, too. And then just even hearkening back to the opening song that Lindsay read us with such Mm -hmm. such beauty. Um, (laughs) I don't want it. I don't want your sex for now Mm -hmm. is also not true, really. Like generally, you do want Mm -hmm. it. Uh, You do want it because Mm -hmm. that's what sexual desire is. It is a Mm -hmm. want to engage Mm -hmm. sexually with somebody that you vibe with. And so Mm -hmm. we're also taught to lie to ourselves about whether we even want to do this and how much we want to do it. Mm -hmm. On top of that, the pain exists. Plus, Mm -hmm. we're also never taught. You get to also focus on how you feel during sex. Mm -hmm. We're focused Mm -hmm. again because it's all for the man all the time in this compulsory heteronormative world that we were raised in that it's always Mm -hmm. for him and your pleasure is like a side bar. If you are lucky, you maybe have some, Um, but Mm -hmm. we weren't taught that it's actually okay to go for what you like and what feels good. And like, yes, talking about it also sometimes just like trying stuff. And I didn't Mm -hmm. even ever do that until I was getting divorced and had, um, you know, list. I had a mojo coach. I hired a person who was a mojo coach and love it yeah Yeah. i know Uh, one of the things i got with my package of course was like recorded podcasts and there was a guest once uh, that she had on i can't remember who he was but it was a dude and she's like what's the sexiest thing like what do men find really sexy that women do and he's like the sexiest thing is women doing whatever they want like sexually Mm -hmm. and i was like wait Mm -hmm. what and then i tried it was like this is sexier i love it thank you Yeah. So uh, that's just a yeah. hot tip I'm passing on. I also, <laughs> since I'm talking um, and I mentioned the compulsory heteronormativity, I, this is another big piece of purity culture that I think is really important. And I have um, known for many years that I'm queer slash pansexual, um, but until mm-hmm. more recently, I didn't really make space for that in my life or, or really think of it as a crucial part of my identity or my experience, I've been partnered in monogamous heteronormative uh, partnerships with cisgendered men really all the time um, until more recently. And then learning how to express myself sexually with another woman has also been Mm -hmm. an incredibly important part of my healing. Mm -hmm. Um, I've enjoyed sex for a long time. I, I mentioned that I'm in a permanent slut era, which did begin in 2015 when I got divorced um which is which is great so i highly recommend it um that said this the experience of learning how to be with another woman in that way has been really um Hmm. a beautiful and important part too of deepening and enhancing the experience of sex Mm -hmm. and sexuality for me like it's changed how i Mm -hmm. have orgasms even so I think I I just want to kind of point that out. Like that's not even a part of a conversation about purity culture. It's like not even on the menu. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think as as we're kind of leaving those things behind and learning how to be at home in our own bodies, um, that I I just think it's really valuable to mention that it's worth it to allow yourself to be all of who you are. And so whether Mm -hmm. that's you're hornier than you ever wanted to admit, or if you're attracted to people of different genders than you're supposed to be, uh, quote unquote, then, you know, this is you're a grown up like you get Mm -hmm. to 
do things that that are for you and um, that includes sexually i don't often hold like a lot of regrets you know like it just kind of in life in general or whatever or like i i don't always find it useful to be like oh I, I should have been able to do this or whatever and like it's anger about that is good but like i think the thing that i wish so much for myself and for other people that I wish we could have gone through is like the normal sexual development mm. piece, like in our adolescence that included sexual curiosity and, you know, really getting to know yourself because it is like our bodies are primed for it. Like literally in our bodies, they're changing, their hormones are raging. Like we are developmentally at this space of exploration and curiosity. And I, it, and even like and nowadays too, like, well, depending on what state you're in, like there's there's like, you know, being able to be curious, like regardless of gender or sexual orientation and, and trying things. And that is the only thing that I wish that I could have had and that I'm like jealous for all of you, know, like the, the people who are like holding hands like under somebody's coat on the bus, you know, or something like that. Or like they have their first little kiss on mom's couch when she's not looking and they're, you know, like watching a movie. And it's such appropriate, you know, sexual behavior for that age. Mm -hmm. And we missed all of it. So now, you know, it's nothing against like being in our thirties and forties, trying all this stuff because we need to anyways and they're actually i could make a case that because our brains are fully developed it's probably a little bit safer and maybe even more fun um you know and we can we know quicker what do we like what do we not like you know don't want to do that again definitely want to do that again mm -hmm. right and i think it's so it's like wonderful that we can give ourselves these redemptive experiences but that is the one piece that i'm like god i if i could go back and do anything it would be high school just for that piece yeah. <laughs> not the other piece it's just like the sexual piece of like learning how to develop a, like appropriately like in those milestones but to be like yeah to t tune into my body and be like this is what you're wanting to do or this is you know how you're developing and i think it's something that so many of us missed out on i think we're a lot of us are you know reconnecting with that um but i also know many people clients included that feel a lot of just sadness over like hey I, I married this person when i was 18 i never got to explore how do i know if i really love them or is this just the narrative i was told this is the you know like this is all you get and and that's not to like um disparage people who have you know got i have i have siblings who got married very very young and they're you know still together and they love each other i think that's great um but i think it can often be a point of confusion mm -hmm. Yeah, it's there's there's so much sadness. Like even when Meg, you were talking about your wedding night, like uh, I'm so sad for you that this, and yeah. so many of us, right? Yeah. That we had these experiences and like all all of us have regrets around at least some of these mm -hmm. areas and like didn't get to like, yeah, kind of have a normal sexual development. Yeah. And yeah. we were told that we would be like a chewed up used piece. Mm -hmm. And so I was really confused when I did have sex before I got married. Cause I got married at like 27 and I was just like, dude, this is it's too long. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even like, it, it was weird. It wasn't like this big decision that I made. Frankly, I had had a couple drinks and had chemistry with someone and it just happened. And then I felt fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. That I was just like, my fine. Exactly. Yeah, story. I was just like, mm -hmm. yeah. And it was one of those things where I was like, 
I mean, of course I wasn't like running home to tell like my parents about it, but, um, <laughs> it was, it was just, I think that I had been told, I, I built up what it was going to be for so long <laughs> and then I did it and I was like, huh, I wasn't really that big of a deal. And then it was interesting later I ended up, and this is a, this is another thing that I feel like I have a theory about people raising purity culture and birth control and like STDs. Um, because mm. I ended up getting an STD from this person that I had sex with because we did not use protection because mm-hmm. I was not, I was, I think yeah. I, was like 20, I was 25, not on the pill because I wasn't supposed to be having sex. Mm-hmm. And again, I yes. did not know what to ask for. I didn't know. I knew I didn't want to get pregnant. I, you know, I knew to have him pull out, you know, like, and now looking back again, there's so much shame about like, Lindsay, my God, the fact that I didn't get pregnant is... Is a miracle. is a miracle, <laughs> but I did get an STD and I had like a minor cancer scare around that. Had to get a couple leaps, like had had some precancerous cells, and I remember um, like the shame I had around that. At a, no one told me this, but I for a while I thought that it was like oh, this is it. This is God's punishment for yeah. me having sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I didn't feel the guilt right afterwards, but it was like, oh, this. And I was like, no, that's actually not what happens when you have sex. It happens when you are ill-informed about sex and you don't know the proper measures to take care of yourself and your sexual health and the questions to ask your partner. Like, I didn't I didn't know any of that. That's the problem, mm-hmm. not the fact that I was having sex. Yeah. So, and the fact that, like, everyone has HPV. So there you go. <laughs> Thank God <laughs> yeah. in the vaccine well, now. So, I wish, yeah. yeah, I was too old for mm-hmm. that. Like, you better believe, like, yeah. my kid's getting yeah. the vaccine. So yeah. I'm, I'm grateful mm-hmm. that that exists now and that education around that is is far more widespread and i'm hoping that the next generation doesn't have to deal with the health scares that i dealt with so Mm -hmm. it's not yeah not fun yeah i mean there is research to back up i think what i'm hearing is like all of our experiences in regard to like just um you know they say like those people who make abstinence pledges really are only delaying the age or the the timing of the first sexual experience by about six months but what they are increasing is a higher risk of like riskier sexual behaviors um non-consensual sex unplanned pregnancies and stds stis and so it's like it and that those numbers are like ginormous as compared to people that are receiving more comprehensive sexual education i remember telling one of my good friends who didn't really grow up the way that we have something about like not even really like having an idea that I should ask him to like wear a condom whoever him was and she's like what and I was like yeah I didn't I didn't know that till I was probably like in my early 30s and she just couldn't fathom that but I was like it took me probably four years of being sexually active with multiple partners to be like I should probably take care of my sexual health. Like I should probably, you know, ask for condoms or, you know, figure out what I want to do for birth control. And, you know, th- it just, it was not even on my mind. Um, and uh, yeah, I had no idea what, what to ask for at all, at all. Another big thing for me in my sexual discovery, I guess, was just discovering my body, um, knowing mm. that, <clears throat> you know every month when we'd get our period and you know experience this like horrific thing and then it's the reminder to not get pregnant um but the the things happening in my body that i was ignoring um the the pain Mm -hmm. of 
endometriosis that I didn't know was existing, or mm-hmm. I also was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which are just very, very additionally painful things that happen mm-hmm. during a woman's monthly cycle. And not even knowing that yeah. that stuff happening in my body was abnormal was, an, was another mm-hmm. real detriment. I mean, like just really ignoring everything from the chin below, because yeah. if you mm-hmm. looked at your body, thought about your body, touched your body in any ways. I mean, I remember going in and my doctor being appalled that I had never given myself a self breast exam, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, being in my, in my twenties and, and her giving me an exam, mm-hmm. just me being so embarrassed to like mm-hmm. touch my own breast my own body, you know, and and to know that there were these things happening in my body that were abnormal and were not things that I had mm-hmm. to endure, but I just mm-hmm. continue to endure because we don't talk about bodies at all, period. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how you got out of it. Like, cause we've heard what you were in and how you were admonishing people and you were like, <laughs> you were telling the other ladies how to be. And now look at you, like empowering people. Like what, was there one thing that like flipped the switch for you? Like what opened your eyes to what, you know, healthy relationship with sex and your body and all that could be? There are some pivotal moments that I had. Um, I mean, I think it was a long process, but, you know, interestingly, so, you know, of course, like I said, super impurity culture had even made the decision. I'm not going to kiss until I'm married. Um, And I moved here to Nashville 13 or 14 years ago, something like that. And I remember developing a friendship with somebody and she was like, almost like every bit is rigid like theologically like believed the same theology but i remember we were sitting in a coffee shop one day and she was like okay tell me about this kissing thing or whatever and she's like and where do you find that in the bible and i couldn't like obviously could not point to anything and she was just like i just i think that that maybe that's not what you think it is like you know i I would just encourage you to kind of like reevaluate or whatever and she she was such a good kind person that i couldn't like dismiss what what she was saying and so i started to kind of examine like why why did i make this rule like is that for somebody else or whatever and i kind of eventually i came to this place where i was like okay i think i think that's a no for me like i think i'm gonna not believe that anymore but i'm not gonna just go you know go rush and kiss the first guy of course um you know because i thought I had boundaries or something like that. Um, What I wish I would have done now is actually like gone and talked to somebody to be like, hey, you know, like I'm taking this piece of the puzzle away and that technically breaks everything down. I didn't realize at that moment that like kind of one brick removed would take everything down. And so I thought, well, you know, I just I'll just kiss somebody, but I won't do all these other things. Of course, we know that's not how life works. Um, and so I had started dating this guy. He was at, at the church that I went to. And I mean, we were like heavily like we were in it. And one night it turned into like sexting, which, of course, I had never done. I was so, so inexperienced. I like love my like younger self. I'm just like, oh, you're so precious, um, you know, and and that's when like some of the sexual desire pieces started to come up. And I did actually phone a girlfriend of mine and I said, hey, because I knew that she was she was engaged at the time and i knew that um i knew that she had was sleeping with her fiance you know but they were keeping it on the down low and i was like what do i need to know in terms of like boundaries i was like i i'm pretty sure i'm gonna still save sex for marriage but i kind of don't know and i was like and he's coming over tonight so i gotta figure this out like 
now. He came over and um, what I, there's some things that I, there's one thing I regret and most of it I don't. Um, But it like, he came in, I got my first kiss and it was like total rom-com, like still, I mean, he's a jackass, but like, I'm sorry, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast. (laughs) Yes, Um, please. That doesn't even register as a swear. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was, um, he, it it was actually a quite abusive relationship. Not at that point. It was more of like the love bombing stuff, but it's Mm -hmm. still to this day. I just, I'm like, that was the best first kiss ever. Like I, I just, it was like, you know, kind of pushes you up against the wall and starts <gasps> making out. And I remember this same girl friend of mine who, cause I was like, what, how do I kiss somebody? She's like, you are a passionate person. I think you're going to be fine. She was right. <laughs> I was totally fine. But, um, you know, the thing is we went, we went from like A to Y, not A to Z that night. And I, I do wish that that hadn't happened because that actually really did follow the purity culture narrative of like, shut everything down, everything down, everything down. And then all of a sudden you do all these things. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do wish that that had not happened. Um, I wish that there would have been more progression, um, but it didn't happen. But the, but I was also of the mindset of like, oh gosh, I'm going to feel so guilty and so ashamed. You know, I, and I remember getting out of bed the next morning, afraid to like actually get out of bed because I thought, you know, that's all this guilt, all this shame is just going to descend on me. But I finally was like, all right, well, I'll just have to deal with the consequences of that because, you know, like, I don't think I regret what I did. And in like in that experience, I, you know, you've been taught like you'll be naked and ashamed right in front of a man Mm -hmm. and, you know, all these things. And I couldn't match that with my experience. I felt more confident than ever. I felt so empowered. I was not at all ashamed of being naked in front of a man. And so it was already very weird. And when I got out of bed ready for all this guilt and shame to like descend upon me, I didn't feel any of that. I felt empowered and connected and like alive. And I realized in that moment, I was like, I get why the church like focuses so much on sex and vilifies it because Mm. I don't know if I need the church. Mm. Like I'm, I feel so (laughs) empowered right now. And then that messed with me. Right. Because I was like, but this isn't how I'm supposed to feel. This isn't what I was taught. Like, so now this must mean that I have this rebellious heart that is so hard that God can't even get through. And of course it was a Sunday morning. So I thought, well, okay, I'm going to go to church and that God will convict my heart. Didn't happen. Go to a okay, small group that night. Didn't happen for two weeks. I begged God to convict my heart, to make me feel guilty. And it was not happening. And I was a nervous wreck, not because of what I had done, but because I thought I was too hard hearted. And I remember talking with a friend of mine who did not grow up the way that I did, even though she, we went to the same church and she was probably 10 years older than me. And she just looked at me and she goes, do you believe you're being honest with God? And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, then maybe like you don't create guilt where there isn't any. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm. If that's the case, I have to reevaluate everything. Mm. And I wish I could say that, you know, for the last however many years since that point, 10, 12 years or whatever, that it was great sex and you know, whatever it was it. I mean, I had a lot of experiences that um, were not, not good at all. Um, definitely experienced a lot of pain, things like that. I didn't expect to not feel that sense of guilt and shame, you know, and I do really have such a, you know, a heart for those who 
have because I know a lot. I, I know my experience is probably less normal than what other people experience coming out of that. So I'm really grateful. And that it's really cool that experience, that initial experience has always been kind of like an anchor of like, I know that it can be like this. So even though I had a lot of really other bad experiences and experienced sexualized violence and things like that, I was like, this experience was like, showing me like the fullness of who I was, like the parts of me that I had to cut off and shut down in yeah. order to navigate in this fundamentalist system. Mm -hmm. And so I always had that to look back on. And it took me almost like 10 or 11 years to get back to that point. I mean, there's probably more details of like how I got to where I'm at right now. And But I will say with the pain piece in particular, I don't think I even realized how much pain I was in until I had sexual experiences with one person in particular where there was no pain whatsoever. And I think there was that there was a, a few things kind of going on, my own trauma kind of resolution, mm. a much deeper sense of embodiment. And then whether it was like the technical things of like positions or the person or size or you know, any of those things, it was like all the stars were aligning. But it was in those moments where I was like, oh, okay, this is how it's supposed to feel, which means all these other experiences, like there was connection, there was fun, there was, you know, even pleasure, you know, during some of those experiences, but it wasn't pain-free and this is what it's supposed to be. And so, and then after that, we went back to pain and I was able to then really contrast that in like a pretty stark way. Um, so then, you know, started working with some doctors and um, ultimately like found out I had huge fibroids in my body and that was causing oh, a lot of the pain and like yeah. all that stuff. And That'll so do it. it's interesting that we're talking about the pain piece because when I found that out, um, I started putting all these puzzle pieces together about pain and suffering and like mm -hmm. the glory of suffering that we were taught and, and started writing a series about it because ultimately for me, the end of the fibroid journey ended in a hysterectomy that happened just like three months ago. And so it's been interesting though, to like, like almost wrap those pieces up to be like, yep. Oh, these were messages that I was carrying in my body that I didn't even know uh, that were impacting me in very practical ways. And very like, yeah, it was just, it was really, really difficult, not only sexually, but there's other, you know, other things going on because of them. Um, and so it's, it was very humbling, angering all the things to like navigate through, like, why did I let this go on for so long? And it was like, oh, cause sex isn't for me. And because pain is normal and suffering shows that you're doing something right. And I was like, damn it, I'm still holding all these messages in my body, even though I've done so much work. It's just kind of one more layer to un unpack or unravel. So yeah, there you go. The glorification <laughs> of suffering. We have gotten into that a few times and that's also yeah. a doozy and a thing that is mm -hmm. very hard to untangle yourself from. And I don't think mm -hmm. I thought about it in the sexual sense that, cause I don't think I've ever just thought like, oh, it hurts. I'm just gonna have to, it's gonna make me a, we were just taught to just endure things. And I think that like, gosh, it was so interesting what you're saying. I hadn't thought about that language of um, your heart being hard or whatever, being kind mm -hmm. of in rebellion yeah. of not having guilt about things, you know, mm -hmm. like you're just expected to have so much guilt and shame around this stuff. Yeah. Wildest thing about the way that evangelicals deal with sex. That is something they focus on 
a lot, which doesn't even make mm-hmm. sense on a biblical level. Yeah. I don't get yeah. that. Like there's like three scriptures about it, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of scriptures about weird sexual things that happen in the Bible. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I was going down a rabbit hole for this episode. I'm not even going to get into all of it, but I was just like, can we talk <laughs> about like Lot offering up his daughters to like Sodom and go like there's so many and then they later get him drunk to get I mean so much weird yeah. sexuality in the Bible or let's talk about Song Solomon like I bet you that good guy was a good lover I think he knew how to give his lady an <laughs> orgasm and nobody talks about that like he was all about like worshiping her body I was like why didn't we talk about for a religion that is so obsessed with sex it sure did not prepare us to have it Mm -hmm. yeah whatsoever yeah like we talked about all the things that were wrong with it or all the things we shouldn't do and of Mm -hmm. course like was the messages like that we were told that it's going to be so good and it's a gift and you're going to get married and it's going to be perfect but there was no like actual basis for that they didn't give you Mm -hmm. they were just like don't 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 and then when you do it's going to be fucking great you'll be yeah yeah you'll it's be awesome somehow yeah. you're gonna be magically good at it and everyone's <laughs> gonna have pleasure and you're gonna love it and that's just that's not true because i think like dr laura you were saying it really made it clicked with me that uh on my wedding day i was like i don't know how to do this it's 11 a.m mm-hmm. if i have sex right now it's like straight to hell but yeah in another few hours if i don't have sex then it's also yes. kind of straight to hell because it's like, mm-hmm. and you're not being a good wife and fulfilling your godly duties mm-hmm. as a woman. And and so mm-hmm. I think you're right, shifting that in my mind of that on off switch because it, it didn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to my body. It didn't make sense to my, my mm-hmm. spirituality. It was like just having to go from, don't be a sexual being, don't think about it, don't want it, don't ask for it to, now you need to automatically, I mean, truly become a sex goddess to like be fully yeah. empowered in your body. And I mean, we're driving away from our reception and it was really hot. And I was, you know, wearing this giant dress with all these layers. And so I put my feet up. We didn't have air conditioning. I, we were 20 and 21. We were very poor as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I had my legs up and the window down and I was, you know, getting the air in and my new husband, at a stop sign, leaned over to like peek up my dress. Yeah. And I was, I, I might have just smacked him away. Yeah. I mean, I was like so horrified. Um, cut mm-hmm. to us getting out of our outfits. And I was like, no, no, you go in the other room. I'm going to get changed and do that over here. And I, I couldn't be, I was never naked in front of anyone. Like, I was just like, I don't know how to do any of this. I don't know how to mm. do any part of, you know, taking my clothes off in front of my husband. Um, and, and so like you're saying, I, I really do wish that I was able, that is the, the kind of the one regret thing that I have as well is that I do wish that I was able to kind of turn that sexual knob slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was for the, for a really long time in my marriage. I mean, a really long time in my marriage, it was on off. It was, that was it. It was see me as a sexual being when you need it. Um, otherwise don't, don't touch me. Don't like sexualize me. Don't come in when I'm changing. I don't, I I just had so much shame around every single part of my body. And it really Mm -hmm. did take my personal sexual liberation. Like, my friends actually saying, what do you mean you don't masturbate? 
I think we talked about that on the first purity culture episode is it's Meg's um, Meg's sexual awakening at 40 and just going, oh, that's the thing that people do just for themselves and actually having orgasms um, has really helped my anxiety. It's helped depression. It's helped mm-hmm. my my physical body to even like look and act and behave differently. And I mean, confidence in just like who I am as a person has really changed mm-hmm. because of the ability to feel pleasure. And, and, and mm-hmm. that's something that I want everyone to leave this conversation with is when you said that we had shut our bodies completely off from all types of pleasure, I, I want us to each be able to say, what's the flavor today that I'm mm-hmm. going to get pleasure from? What's the feeling? What's the touch? What's the emotional connection that I'm going to have pleasure from? And the smells and the tastes. And there's so many things in life that we can find pleasure in. And, and I truly did shut off all feeling to all mm-hmm. pleasure. And, and that has been a bigger awakening, not just a sexual awakening, but like a full person embodying awakening mm-hmm. for me to really be able to feel that empowerment through just, just the concept that pleasure is good, that it's good for mm-hmm. us and that it's a good thing for us to want and to pursue. And you know what? I do want it and I do want it now and not going to be sorry about it anymore. Take that DC talk. Yeah. (laughs) I just vote for us to all move a little bit further away from endurance and a little bit closer to enjoyment every day. Mm -hmm. And that I think your your point on what are your senses and how can you find something enjoyable about Mm it? Um, We're we're not only raised evangelical, but also members of a very strangely puritanical culture, Mm -hmm. even still. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's very much hyper-focused on work. It's mostly for capitalism and for mm-hmm. pro- productivity and the control aspect of why evangelicals are obsessed with sex, I think is everything. It's the same reason they're mm-hmm. obsessed with continuing to belittle women and continuing to put mm-hmm. LGBT folks you know, out uh, in the stables or wherever else they might be that are not in the main house. Um, there's, a, I think there's a lot to it. And I think it's important for us to, as you were talking about, Dr. Laura, taking out those little pieces of that Jenga tower, like ultimately mm-hmm. that, that does, that does disrupt things and it does knock over entire belief systems. And sometimes, yeah. but it, it, sometimes that's actually what needs to happen in order for you to have the ability to rebuild yourself into who you really are. Yeah. So good. This conversation, as we talk about, like, it doesn't matter where you're at in your journey, in your sexuality, in your faith. Like, these are things that all of us will benefit from. And even I know there's some people that listen to us that weren't raised evangelical. And you're probably very confused. (laughs) Some of the stuff we were taught because it was wild. And yes, we are 40 somethings and we are still dealing with it. And that's super valid like your when your body has been taught your entire life to be shut down and be stressed about pleasure and viewed as wrong and evil like it's 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 pretty hard to get that feeling out of your body i really do think that there's some 
amazing like body-based resources for uh, sexual assault victims um, that work really well for purity culture as well. Um, really kind of like entry level practices of getting back into your body, realizing I have a body. This body is actually a good body, right? Which sounds like it's like, wh why do I need that? Right. But that's, that is like the entry point really truly is going like, I have to be reintroduced to my body in a safe way. Um, and so I think, you know, um, one of my favorite ones, I think it's just called uh, transforming the sacred wound or something like that by Peter Levine. It's only available an audiobook, but it's this really wonderful program talking about how sacred our sexuality can be and when that is violated, whether that is by an actual person in the case of like physical sexualized violence or in the case of teachings that really move from your brain down to your body, we have to re-enter our body in safe ways that allows us then the possibility for things like pleasure. So I always encourage things like that. Um, I also think too, you know, a little bit of what we were talking about is being able to experience pleasure in non-sexual ways, getting into your body in non-sexual ways. Um, I know when I was leading the purity culture support group, one of the biggest fears was like, oh, if you, if we're going to get into our bodies, then you're going to tell me I've got to go have sex. And I don't want to do that. Even though I might love my partner, even though I might, you know, like want, want that eventually, like that sounds really, really scary. And so finding like safer ways to be in our bodies and to experience pleasure without it having to lead to sex or be about sex is really, really helpful. And that could be everything from like listening to natural cues of your body for when you need to eat or stop eating or, you know, use the restroom or go to bed or whatever that is, like just learning to listen to your body, as well as like you were talking about, um, uh, looking for pleasure in non-sexual ways. So what is my favorite scent? Can I really let myself inhale that? I, I know like I, I love like, um, the smell of fresh cut grass, just go stand on my patio and just like, like take that in. And to me, that feels like pleasure, right? Like, Oh, this is, this is so great. Or you might, um, start, you know, like using self-touch, but in non-sexual ways, what does that feel like to touch my arms, my shoulders, my chest, right? And just like feeling what it's like to be in your body. And maybe you go, oh gosh, I really like when there's like soft touch on my arms. Can that be pleasure, right? Like that doesn't have to lead to sex, but that could just be an experience of pleasure in your body. I'm a big big fan of going as slow as you need to. I think especially if you're single coming out of purity culture or fundamentalism, it's kind of this weird, like, well, I have to like jump into all these sexual experiences and make up for lost time. And this is what's expected of me. But oftentimes that can do more damage than good because our bodies are not prepared for that, right? We've come out of all of these crazy teachings that are like, this is bad, bad, bad. So again, we're going back into that light, light switch off and on. And so, you know, going slowly, I think is going to be one of the biggest uh, pieces of advice. If I have to give advice, like I would say that's it is like, do not push yourself faster than your body can handle. Everybody's is going to go at a different pace and to say, oh, okay, this feels okay to me. But this other thing, I start to panic or I start to want to run away or I, I shut down or I numb out or I freeze or I want to fight somebody like paying attention to those cues are really, really important and going at the pace that your body can go at is going to be very, very important in a process like this. So I don't have like a 10 step plan. Everybody is very different in what works for them. But I think that those can sometimes be helpful. The Center for Trauma Resolution and Recovery, we have a lot of practitioners. Well, not a lot. 
all of them who understand purity culture on a very lived experience level, as well as a professional level, which has proven to be really helpful for people. Cause it's really nice to like walk in and work with a coach who's like, yeah, you don't have to explain this to me. I get it. You don't have to convince me. I know what you're talking about and can understand on the physiological and psychological level, how a damaging purity culture can be and work at, at the resolution piece from the body-based level. Um, so of course I'm always, you know, if that's something that's important or is available to you in terms of the resources that you have, you know, there are people out there who do understand this and understand the impact and are ready and wanting to be able to support you in recovering from a system like that. That's so necessary. And I mean, I will say it's like, again, I've been in therapy for years and I am so thankful for being able to work through some of these things. And it Mm. figured out like uh, one huge takeaway I've taken away from therapy is I thought I, I wasn't. And sometimes people told me that I wasn't sex positive because I didn't want to have a lot of sex. And I was like, Mm. oh no, being sex positive means like, I'm able to communicate my wants and desires and mm-hmm. and that might be not wanting to have you know what I, mean? I just wasn't even I yeah. think that those are the things that realizing like even what our definitions of as I'm coming into again you go slowly like sex positivity doesn't mean you want to have sex all the time it mm-hmm. means you understand yourself and your sexual needs and mm-hmm. your desires and you are seeking those things out for yourself and dang it's I hope for the next generation that it doesn't take y'all as long as it's taken us to figure <laughs> out and like yeah. uh, have sex, not marriage. That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I live my life yeah. for that. <laughs> no. Yeah, thank you. And this well, is an old yeah. married lady. So, you know, it's like, do as I say, not as I do. But um, <laughs> I, I'm i lucky. I'm lucky to have a husband yeah. that I still like and that he likes me. And um, the, be- the best, the reason for it is because we're not the same people and we have not mm-hmm. kept the same bullshittery. And um, it's the only thing that's kept us together is yeah. um, not being caught up in all of that. So it's pretty nice when yeah. you can grow together in that way. I am also mm-hmm. I'm also thankful for that. And I always tell people if he dropped dead tomorrow, I don't know that I would ever date another man again. So there's also that my, my like sadness. I'm like, why didn't I experiment in college? Like, Kate, why didn't yeah. I pull Katy Perry? Man, I, I should have kissed a girl. I had a chance, but... <laughs> Well, you know, you can always like strike up an agreement, you know, and just have a free pass night. That could be, you know, what (laughs) we as a girl. I just I just want to put a pin in. We got to have some conversations about ethical non-monogamy at some point, Mm -hmm. uh, because I do think that especially for those of us who were raised in this way and and mm-hmm. for the people who have been married for 100 years because of it and for the people who aren't like i just think there's a lot a lot to explore around all the assumptions mm-hmm. we make about how relationships are supposed to be that we just go mm-hmm. along with without interrogating them at all or understanding who we yeah. are ourselves or or whatever and a mm-hmm. lot of the reasons why things happen that hurt people in this kind of a a world is because we're not able to communicate about those needs, wants, desires um, in a way that makes it safe mm-hmm. for people to have what they need. Uh, and we mm-hmm. actually expect one other person to meet all of the major needs that you have uh, for companionship mm-hmm. and for love and for sex and and safety and all of those things. That's way too much burden for any one person to carry. We can't just be that for like another mm-hmm. person all the time. So. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's 
that's a future like tangent but um this has been amazing dr laura thank you so much for coming on the show yeah. and um sharing your experience and yeah. wisdom with us and our listeners yeah yeah thank you i really enjoyed this conversation it's it's fun to talk about sex you know Let's hey, keep doing it. I'm like about it all the time. Drop, drop your favorite vibrator and links. Come on. I mean, my all my favorite ones yeah. have been because other ladies told me about them. Like we got to talk about That's this right. stuff. Laura, this has been so amazing. I know you have a new book coming out. Will you tell us all about it? Yes. Thank you for asking. Um, my book comes out in October. I'm really excited. It is called When Religion Hurts You. Uh, and then the subtitle is Healing from Religious Trauma and the Impact of High Control Religion. It's a little bit of my own story with client stories, as well as my own research and um, putting together kind of it's it's not prescriptive at all, but it's helping to understand what is religious trauma, uh, adverse religious experiences, spiritual abuse, the nervous system, as well as looking at like healing as a continual process rather than this point that you get to and you say there I'm done I'm you know I I will never think about this stuff again and so it's this idea of like living in a healing body and when we're doing that what are some of the themes that we start to see in our own lives everything from uh, emotions to relationships and sexuality um, developing a new you know cognitive worldview grieving our past and everything that we've lost and so it's kind of just taking this approach of of things that we look for in our own lives and um, how we might be able to identify that we are healing, even if we haven't reached this mag magical like end point. Um, so I'm excited about it and you can order it um, anywhere where you would order books. I always encourage people to go to their local bookstores and ask them to have it in stock. Um, but anywhere that you order books, you can order that. So go to bookshop, everybody find a local bookstore yes. that you can support. Uh, and go get Dr. Laura's new book. Pre-orders are available now. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I hope that everyone goes and gets the book, follows you online, and really is able to start that healing process like you have helped so many other people do. And like the three mm -hmm. of us have been doing now on our uh, sexual, spiritual awakening journeys. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much for having me. And you can find us every other week. Oh, and this is it. Season two yeah. of Holy Ghosting is oh. done with this last episode about taboos. But we'll be back. Join us next month for Pride Month, where every week we're going to be putting out an episode that is going to talk about, supports, encourages, and um, gives voice to some of our LGBTQIA friends, listeners, and supporters find us at patreon.com slash holy ghosting or wherever you can on socials at holy ghosting pod we will see you next month okay we did it. Nice. great excellent